why should we read fiction? Is there something valuable about fiction, specifically when it's read? We discuss this and more with special guest, acclaimed author Amanda Dykes, on this episode of The Overthinkers. Hello, thinking people's thinking people. Welcome to The Overthinkers, a home for people who love to have fun thinking deeply. I'm your host, Joseph Holmes, filmmaker, film critic, film tutor. Yes, that's right. I'm now officially a tutor for people who want to get better at writing and making films. If you have a dream film you're writing and yet want to avoid it getting savagely torn apart by film critics like me, you can check me out under josephholmes.superprof.com. That's a shameless plug. And with me, as always, is my legendarily literary co-host. Nathan Clarkson, actor, author, filmmaker, and nothing quite as fancy as Joseph. Um, <laughs> doing alliteration, a lover of literature. Ooh, nice. nice. Yeah, we like that here. Well, I'm with us today on theme is a very special guest. She is a best-selling author, novelist, and winner of the 2020 Christie Award Book of the Year, winner of the Spy Award and the Kip Award. She's also the recipient of star reviews from Booklist, Library Journal, and Forward, Historical Novels Review Editor Pick, and Booklist Top 10 Category Novelist. Her books include Whose Waves These Are, Set the Stars Alight, and Yours is the Night. Her first and most recent novel, All the Lost Places, has been translated into Dutch, Slavic, Romanian, and German. She is the astonishing, the accomplished, the adventurous Amanda Dykes. Amanda, welcome to the show. Thank you. Wow, what an introduction. It's such alliteration. This is a great place to be. I I can tell already. <laughs> yes. We love words. We love alliteration. So uh <laughs> yes. I thought you would appreciate that as a, a lover yeah. of words yourself. I loved it. Well, good. Well, today we're very excited to have you here because we are talking about whether or not we should be reading more fiction. Uh, and then specifically, that would, leads right into her books, reading her books. Um, <laughs> but first, Nathan, if people enjoy our conversation and want to engage more with our content and meet fellow overthinkers like themselves, where can they go? They can go to theoverthinkersjournal.com where they can find out more about their hosts and send us all of their love and hate mail. They can also join the online overthinkers group on Facebook. It's a private group with over 15,000 of overthinkers like yourself. We are getting together and talking about all the fun stuff we talk about here. And again, fair warning, it's mostly memes, but they're very intellectual fun. <laughs> um, and if you do enjoy the show, please consider leaving a review and sharing with a friend. It really does help us so very much. Awesome. All right. Everybody ready to get started? Let's do it. Ready. Yep. Awesome. So. Fiction reading for Americans is on the decline. According to the Guardian piece, U.S. Losing Appetite for Reading Fiction, the National Endowment for the Arts, novels and short stories reading rates have declined from 47% of the U.S. population in 2008 and 45.2% in 2012 to just 41.8% in 2017. According to the NEA, the drops were mainly among women, African-Americans, and 18 to 24-year-olds. This is echoed by book sales, according to Publishers Weekly, which cited figures from the Association of American Publishers that show the fiction buyers had fallen by 17% between 2013 and 2018. Interestingly, this is not universal of all reading, as the same survey found that things like poetry reading had gone up during the same period. But this does follow the trends of Americans generally reading fewer books, whether physical or downloaded, than ever before. 
according to Gallup, the percentage of Americans who have read has not, and the percentage of Americans who read has not gone down. But of those who do read, they report reading fewer books than ever. In response to the decline in book reading, many high-profile successful people have extolled the need for greater reading, often bragging at their own reading habits. According to the Harvard Business Review, Warren Buffett, CEO of Berkshire Hathaway, spends most of his day reading and recommends reading 500 pages a day. Entrepreneur Mark Cuban says he reads more than three hours a day. Elon Musk says he learned to build rockets by reading books. But business visionaries who extol the virtues of reading almost always recommend nonfiction. Buffett recommended 19 books in 2019. Not one of the titles was fiction. Of the 94 books Bill Gates recommended over a seven-year period, only nine of them were fiction. Among people who extol reading, there seems to be a bias against reading books. We've had many discussions about reading fiction. Excuse me. We've had many discussions about the fact that people often get embarrassed when they are that they are reading fiction. So, Ms. Amanda Dykes, you have written plenty of acclaimed fiction novels. Why do you think that people sort of are embarrassed to read fiction? And why do you think that fiction reading specifically is going down? And what do you believe is the value of reading fiction specifically that people who don't are missing out on? Okay, great question. So let's take them. Let's start with the first one. Why do we think people are embarrassed of reading fiction? Was that the first question? Yes, that was the first question. Such a great question. Um, I think there's a lot that goes into it, and I would love to hear your opinions on it too. My thought, just off the cuff, is that there tends to be, I think, almost this stigma that, or this perception that fiction is frivolous or um, surface level, um, that it's not something that's growing you as a person in the way that nonfiction is. You know, if you see someone reading a book on um, investing or um, emotional intelligence or, you know, just anything that's developing some part of their person, you can see right on the cover, from the cover, from the title, what they're trying to do. That, oh, this is someone who's interested in developing themselves. And there's almost like a, not necessarily pride with it, but there's, I don't know, like some accomplishment, like you could put that on a resume almost during your LinkedIn. (laughs) And fiction doesn't quite have that. When you look at fiction novels um, or just novels, fiction novels kind of a redundant phrase, but um, you don't know what it's about necessarily. When you see someone sitting, reading that book, you don't know what it's about. You just know it's a novel. And so we may worry even subconsciously that if someone sees us reading this, as opposed to the Wall Street Journal, they're going to think, oh, they're someone with tons of extra time. They may be lazy. They may be unaccomplished. They may be um, unmotivated or not have goals or someone who's complacent. <laughs> I could go on and on, but it just gets more and more depressing. <laughs> when you listen and I think it's just this stigma that I hope we can kind of shatter in a friendly way today that fiction has a lot of nuance and it, ha- it can have a lot of depth. And I'm even going to go as far as to say the what the fiction that doesn't necessarily have a lot of depth can also have a deep purpose. You know, it yeah. can have the same purpose as um, someone who's prescribed sleep from their doctor because it's highly needed. You know, mm. our brains need a break too. Um, I don't write what people would call light fiction. There is kind of a subgenre called light fiction. That's what I would classify as like restful fiction some people call it fluff some people i mean like 
it's just, there's a lot of words for it, but whether it's deep um, or lighter or somewhere in between, I think it all has a lot of purpose. I, I have a hunch that all three of us are going to delve into that today, but that's, those are my thoughts on why people may be embarrassed to read fiction. Just what is it saying about you, well, your life, your goals, things like that. I don't know. You guys have any thoughts to add to that? Oh, we have plenty. <laughs> Thoughts about literally everything, but also it's what we do here. Yeah, (laughs) I I totally agree with you. There is, like you said, there's a stigma around it. Now, I grew up in household. I uh, exist within literary circles, and when I say literary, I mean people who read, not necessarily fiction. Right. And I, it was interesting a while ago. Um, I've been reading my entire life, sometimes more, sometimes less, but I've always been reading. There's always a book, um, either on my Kindle or in my backpack. And uh, a while ago, I had this interesting kind of uh, thing happening. So this is one of the things kind of inspired by the episode, which is I put down this book. It was a fiction book, Whoa. and I loved it. It was beautifully written. It was engaging. <laughs> I uh, I have ADHD and dyslexia, so I read very slowly compared to most people. But I love reading. It's a practice I've I've um, was given to uh, from my family, and, I, and I've continued it, even though it's more difficult for me than maybe many others. But so. So I, I put down this book that I absolutely loved and in, in every single way. And I was engrossed and I was even drawn to read more than I typically do. Um, I, I read through the difficulties that my mind and my eyes have with reading. Uh, I was so inspired that I found myself reading for hours when I never did that reading. I put this book down and all of a sudden I felt guilt, shame. And it was the same kind of guilt and shame that I have on my cheat meal days. Meaning, uh, so I, mm-hmm. I, you know, I try to eat healthfully. I try to do things, you know, uh, eat lean meats and vegetables and all mm-hmm. that. And then once a week, uh, if you know me well, I, ha- I, I have a pizza. I, I just love pizza and I have popcorn and I really enjoy that. But I always get this feeling after that where it's like, that was really fun. I'm so glad. But now I have to go back to doing the things that are good for me. And mm-hmm. I have that exact same feeling when I read this fiction book. Like I, I felt bad for enjoying it so much. And so I went back and I was like, all right, what's the newest philosophy book that I need to pick up or theology or, or some history that I need to engage in? Um, and and that was an interesting kind of feeling for me. And by the way, this wasn't like classic literature. Uh, it wasn't like Dickens or Austin or or Dostoevsky. It was. I feel so bad. I read the Brothers Karamazov. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> the new book and it was entertaining and engaging. Yeah. And of and it felt like because I enjoyed myself, I, I should feel bad about it. And so I, I, it was weird as I started kind of investigating this feeling of like, why do I feel shame? Like I just did something uh, or like guilt, like I just did something kind of indulgent. And now I have to go to the real things that are good for me. Because as I investigated how I felt when I was reading this book, I felt understood. I felt seen. I felt entertained. I, I had new thoughts about things. Mm-hmm. I actually was drawn towards reading more than I typically am. And so what is it in me that felt the shame? And I think you nail on the head, Amanda, when you talk about um, there's this kind of cultural idea that if you're reading a, and I'm throwing a lot of books in here, a self-help or a something that has to do with a quote subject that we need to be learning politics, history, um, that is making the person better. But if you read a fiction, it's escapist from your life. And so when you're right. reading fiction, you are on this trajectory of becoming a better person. And when you're reading fiction, you are veering off of that trajectory of becoming a better person to just escape 
um, kind of entertainment, how we kind of conceptualize playing video games, which everyone knows they have a lot of um, opinions on, yeah. or, or binging um, a Netflix. It's like, well, you do that to escape from your real life. And that's exactly what I felt when I put that fiction book down. And But I wanted to investigate that feeling and where it was coming from. So yes, I think there's a lot of it coming from culture, that if you want to show people that you're a hustler, that you're someone who's learning, that you're going places, doing things, you read a book about something that's making you, that's right. making you a better person. Um, and a lot of this exists, uh, I think, in academia, I think mm -hmm. in a lot of different circles where it's like, oh, no, you need to read um, the book that has a lot of stat stats and studies. And by the way, everyone knows if you listen to this podcast, we love stats and studies. Yes. <laughs> and we read a lot of nonfiction, obviously. So we're not we're not here to dump on non on nonfiction. But we are to bring fiction into its rightful place. Mm -hmm. And the reason I say that is because as I was investigating this, I went and actually looked at like should I feel bad for this? What is the effect of fiction all in the human brain? Because we love psychology here. And so I went and looked and I was like, I was amazed. And I'll go over some uh, some of the the practical things that literally reading fiction does. But I, I just, you know, my first, op my opening statements, I wanted to um, back you up. And yes, there is a, a, a shame or a guilt that people feel reading fiction. And I don't know necessarily where it comes from or why we have it. And Joseph, I'll throw it to you here. But I do want to, a little bit later in the episode, actually go through some of the benefits yeah. that I never knew of reading specifically, not just reading, reading mm -hmm. specifically fiction. We'll talk about those in a little bit. But Joseph, where does this shame slash guilt come from? So, so I'm going to add an additional problem to the question here, because I think you guys have done a great job of saying, like, people feel like things they enjoy are probably not as good for them or don't and certainly don't give them a status symbol as things that don't, right. you know, like you said, it's like, oh, this is pizza. I love pizza. That doesn't say a lot about my character that I eat pizza. It says I do things that I enjoy and literally everybody enjoys it. So, you know, right. so first of all, it's like, okay, this is probably not good for, I really enjoy it. So, you know, first of all, it's not helping me grow or become a better person, you know, and in the areas where I'm weak. So you feel bad about yourself in that way. Um, it has doesn't prove to you, like going to the gym or something like that, that you're it's you're you're good at doing hard things. So like you know that makes sense. Is like, and then of course it, it, you, as you said, Amanda, you can't use it as a status symbol on the subway. It's like, well, this well, person I'm... clearly is good at doing hard things because they can sit what? through you know a boring book on you know the the on the the future of economic policy. You know, it's like it's it's. Um, and so it it can't it isn't a self status symbol and an other status symbol for and but the thing is of course you know people don't do this in other areas of life for example people don't look down on watching movies or watching TV shows in the same way you know it's they give that a pass I and mean, again obviously like there's certain types of movies that they say oh you like blockbuster movies but still everybody's like well yeah everybody does and people don't look down on you because you enjoyed watching Barbie, you know, like it's, it's like, it's kind of, you okay. know, it's, it's so it's like, and it's like, yeah, everybody talks about how they binge watch Netflix. And so like, and so that doesn't for some reason make people kind of, people are embarrassed to admit that. And so it's weird that they are, we aren't embarrassed to admit that we watch fiction on TV or in movies, but we are embarrassed and we do feel bad and we do do it less again. Like we're watching more stuff on TV, but we're reading less. And so that to me is confusing. I think that well, to a certain degree, um, I think there are reasons that people, the society is moving towards getting our fiction 
um, visually or not visual because you read words with your eyes also. Um, but but with um, you know movies and then we're getting our um, nonfiction from words. I think there are sociological and psychological reasons for that. Yeah. But I think that what people are assuming is everyone's assuming we're watching entertainment. So if you're reading entertainment too, people are like, you know, people don't think you're reading entertainment instead of watching entertainment. So they think, oh, you're a really lazy person. So even when you're not watching something, you're reading something enjoyable. Add something really quickly too. It's also the investment. For me, yes, you know, yes. a couple books a month. I'm not like other people. Who could, yeah. So it's like, I can justify watching a two hour blockbuster, but to read, you know, to justify an entire month of reading something that's considered kind yes. of a time, that right. an element too. No, but that was, that was the other thing I was going to mention is that it takes a lot more time to read it than it does to watch stuff. And so it's fine to say, okay, you can indulge two hours watching a movie, but you're going to spend like, you know, a lot more hours in for your self-indulgent reading. So that I think it partly creates the stigma around it. Um, but yes, so like, but the, I, I will say that um, I, so yeah, we can go then move to um, what, Let's let's actually do this in a reverse order to ask the questions. So, okay, we've said people feel bad about it. Okay, why should they reading. not feel bad about it? You know, why are people, if they do yeah. like reading fiction, or maybe they don't like reading fiction, and you think, hey, maybe they should read fiction, or, you know, think that yeah. it is actually something that's good for them. Um, why? What would you tell them? What would you say? Yeah, that kind of built on something you were saying with this perception of reading fiction being self-indulgent. And as you both touched on, it's sometimes a perception we ourselves have. You yeah. know, we feel that guilt. And it's ironic because when you look at, I'm sure you guys will bring up some of the studies or I can touch on them too. But when you look at one of the things that fiction does is it builds empathy. Yeah. It builds compassion. And empathy is kind of, when you think about what empathy is, it's kind of magic. You know, like yeah. I know it's not magic, but I'm a fiction writer, so roll with me. It's magic. Um, it's magic. Like the ability to envision what someone else's life is like and the ability and almost it's, it requires an amount of sacrifice, you know, to give your thought to that and to give your heart to that and to to then um, allow that to lead you into place of deeper care. It's Literally. it's a huge thing and it's miraculous. And so, of course, fiction is not the only way to achieve empathy, but it is a huge one. And it's even one where they've done studies um, with people who have, you know, whether it's trauma in their past or um, even just certain certain disorders like 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 reactive attachment disorder or things like yeah. that, where they really there's an immense challenge with yeah. an empathy or um any of those things, fiction is one of the big tools they will use to help build that, you know, yep. to help like all to rewire the brain. And there's such a connection between the brain and the heart. And then I would go even deeper than that and say this, there's soul involvement too, there can be. And so that's one of the huge ones, just to build on what you were saying, why should we not feel guilty about reading fiction? So it builds empathy for one. Um, Another one I'm going to say is kind of an odd one. So it's just coming at it from sort of an angle. So as as someone who believes in God, you know, and believes in God as a creator, it is a way for me to know him better, which sounds so weird because you think Not to like, us. <laughs> okay. But to some people out there, it might. They might go like, okay, 
read the Bible, which yes, absolutely. That's what, what we need to do. That's the first and primary mm. source always. Like, don't skip over that. Go read fiction. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, as a writer, I feel God coming after me through what he's called me to. And I don't mean coming after me like in a mean way. I mean like drawing me to an intimacy mm. where he wants to teach me. He wants me to feel known. He wants me to learn and learn and learn and never Whoa. stop learning. And he wants me, my trust in him to grow and my faith in him to grow and my my understanding of what's possible with him to grow. And I feel him coming after me through what he's called me to. And I don't think that's unique to writing. I think that's applicable probably or can be in whatever vocation God calls us to. I think he designs us uniquely to respond to the things he invites us into. And that's thrilling to me. So to take that a step further, okay, what does that mean as a reader? As a reader, can you know God more? <laughs> I think possibly, yes. It really depends on where you're coming from, what you're reading for. And of course, not every book you pick up has to be some big like, mm. like existential or spiritual experience. But um, looking at the Genesis account, for example, we see God creating everything, right? Mm. In a few lines. And what does he do? He speaks. He says, let there be light. He says, let there, he, everything he called into being. And even in that word call, like he's using words, he speaks. He did not have to choose to create using words, but he did. And I don't know why, but I think there's some significance in that. And I think there's a lot of beauty in that. I think that when you look at words as a creation and what they can do, Again, the magic of empathy and the magic of com compassion. And when people write to me and say, you know, this book or that book or this scene, I I won't say verbatim what they've said because it's people's confidence is that I'm here. People have written with such heartfelt things saying like it was a life force. And I'm not saying that to toot my own horn because honestly, like I'm just a small part of the whole process of what God is doing. But for words to be able to come under somebody's heart and wrap around it and hold that heart for a little while and give them a refuge where they feel seen and where they feel understood and when they feel not alone just for a little while and where they feel hope. And I think that word is really what it all comes down to in a lot of ways, hope. That's amazing. And Wouldn't we do not have to feel guilty about taking part in something that gives hope. You know, and God also, yeah, he designed work, but he also designed rest. Okay. And there's not like a hierarchy between those two. It's a beautiful relationship. And so if fiction gives you rest, embrace that. If it gives you imagination, embrace that. If it challenges you and calls you out on something, embrace that. Like there's so much that fiction does. So I, I could go on and on, as you could tell, but I want to let you guys chime in too. Any, yeah. Anything you guys want to yeah. add to that? We're so, oh, yeah. we're so, uh, we're, it's so tiresome when our guests want to talk about something they're passionate about on our show. <laughs> yeah, just to, to us. I don't know what <laughs> opinions, but though I, I a thousand percent agree with everything you're saying. There's a few things that I, I really want to kind of underline into what you're getting at. One is a kind of towards the end of what you're saying is we have this thing and I don't know where it comes from. We could explore it. Um, but it, we have this thing where we feel guilty if we enjoy something. I right. love what I I love writing. I love acting. I love making movies. And when people tell me I'm a hard worker, I'm like, I feel bad because 
I like doing the things I'm doing. And so it's almost like the shame with enjoying something, uh, just like the pizza. I feel bad that I enjoyed it. So I need to go do something I don't enjoy. Um, you know, I really struggle with it. everything should feel like working out, just pain. I really I'm not a, a natural person who loves working out. I do it, um, but I don't enjoy it like other people do. It's a pain. So I feel like to get anything good in my life, I'm going to have to make sure I don't enjoy it. And if I do enjoy it, it's probably not adding anything to my life. But to your point about actually kind of bringing the theological side into this um, one real quick, I'm going to have a thing. Uh, Jesus, when he was sharing his words, his worldview his what he <laughs> believed when he was um, affecting the world. He wrote um, fiction, by the way. Parables are Jesus yeah. stories. And so if you're going to dog on fiction, you're, do you're dogging on Jesus's um, chosen way to share his truth. And that gets yeah. us something even deeper when you understand about how humans were made. You know, there's been a lot of studies recently into the efficacy of what they call story-based therapy. And right. what they found is when they help people, uh, uh, patients, when when uh, psychological prof uh, professionals help patients put their trauma, put their experience, put their oh. lives, um, put their moments of difficulty into the context of story. So there's a narrative here. There's a beginning, middle, end. There's, um, there's a, a start and then there's an end that has redemption. When you help uh, humans and these human brands who have been through very difficult things, and you put that in the context of story, that they end up having a huge effect on their on their ability to heal um, and grow better mentally and emotionally. And so that tells me something as I go back and look at scripture, as I go back and look at um, how God chose to uh, invest and share his, like you said, he didn't have to use words, but he did. How he chose to share his truth with the world, it's through story. We see this both in scripture as a whole, that he started with the words in the beginning. That's yeah. how you start a story. And yes, I'm not, I'm, don't, no one come at me with it. You know, are you, are you saying the Bible's fictional? Um, well, parts <laughs> of what I'm saying is fictional or not, God chose to, um, to give his truth and connect with humanity through the art of story. And then we have Jesus, God incarnate come. And what does he do? He comes down and tells stories. This tells me that there's something intrinsic into the makeup of humans that are, that makes us story-oriented creatures. We are people who were created to, on a very practical level, as I just referenced in the the, the studies on story-oriented um, uh, therapy, we were created to connect to stories, to narrative. And so my, my contention would be that, and I'll, I'll speak from personal experience, I went on this kick, especially during the pandemic when I was um, stuck inside all day. I can talk ad nauseum uh, about ideas and philosophy, but I was like, you know, Nathan, you should probably actually go read the philosophers um, so yeah. you can have a little more basis for understanding, you know, be able to quote them and stuff. And I went and read a lot of the philosophers. Uh, one, unless you're really into this, don't do this. Don't do it because it's, <laughs> it's very super boring, guys. Um, <laughs> as I would read the, these great, uh, quote unquote, great philosophers, and I, and I would read their words and spend hours delving into their books. And then I'm finally, okay, and now I'm going to treat myself, a little cheat meal of a novel. This interesting thing would happen in which I would find that I would derive more um, understanding for philosophical realities from the novels I was reading as opposed to these philosophy textbooks. And my contention, maybe just my personality or, or well, whatever, you could you could uh, uh, kind of sweep it to the side like that. But I have a contention that's more human-wide, that well, there's something about stories that enable us to ingest truth in a more palpable um, yeah. and, and long-lasting way. And so as I look back at the things that have affected my education on my phil uh, phil philosophical studies, very often it's the novels that I read that presented these themes and ideas 
but where I was able to connect to them through the the narrative of story, the, the art and the creation narrative of story, more so than just the textbook definitions that I was reading. Yeah. So this goes back to there really is, if we, if we believe we were created, um, and for our listeners who do believe that, if you believe we were created, it's really hard to argue against this idea that we were created as story-oriented creatures, which goes right into that that stories, fiction, novels, actually have a power to share truths in a more palpable and, re and real and long-lasting way than perhaps many um, non-fiction do. Again, I'm all for reading non-fiction. I'm reading non-fiction right now. Uh, pray for me. It's really, really rough. And <laughs> um, but uh, so there's a couple things. There's a lot of things in there, but I ultimately think mean, there's a theological basis as mm. to why you should fiction. And then we'll oh. wrap up in a little bit um, with just, so I just want to go down the list and show you the actual scientific measured um, benefits of reading yeah. fiction. But I do think there's actually a theological. Oh. oh, no, go for it. I was going to ask, like, you'll probably bring this up in that, but did you guys come across the piece of research about how when you read something, what's happening in your brain mimics what's happening to you if you are actually living that experience? It's the same thing. Did you come across that? It, it, so it, it, I think that may tie into what you're saying, Nathan, just that, you know, the reason that we can either read back and that we have to do something with them you know, to process them. We have to catalog them. We have to, and that's not bad. That's good. And some brains are really wired for that. I don't think we should skip over acknowledging that. Absolutely. But if you, if you read a story, like you said, addressing the same subject matter, you have in, in a sense, lived it. And me... it's much harder to forget. And it's sort of processes itself you don't have to then catalog it it's, it's an experience so that's really interesting science to me absolutely absolutely i i love that and i think yeah I, I think there's something in the human brain that is made to understand things through the vehicle of story um, yeah. but is there things there theological practical um because you are a person you read kind of everything but you're definitely non-fiction yeah um you know thinking about all this just from the theological and practical side do you have thoughts on that yeah, absolutely. So like, you know, on the, the theological practical level, I, mean, I think you guys make an excellent point about um, relating it to creation and God in the Bible. I think that, you know, one of the things that and I, I, ancient Near East scholars have kind of noted about, you know, the way the first five books of the Bible known as the Torah or the law or the teaching are written is that most of them are narrative based. And most of them, right. it's like, again, they call that whole thing the law or the teaching. But most of it is narrative based. And why is that? It's because of the stuff that you're talking about, which is that people learn contextually. And most of what we learn, again, where most of the information that we get in life is, you know, sensory, it's interpersonal, it's, you know, empathetic, it's most of our learning comes that way. The analytical cognitive is one slice of that that we get in life. We're built to be getting information and learning. Um, contextually all the way around. And that gets into something, you know, now it gets into this interesting thing where I'm like, okay, why fiction? You know, fiction is important, but it's like, again, why reading fiction specifically? And this goes into something really interesting. So you've got, I mean, again, because like you said, you cited the studies, I mean, you know, the the you know, University of Toronto and all of talks about what fiction, reading fiction does, you know, building empathy, also, another thing it does is it slows down people's need to um, uh, to have quick and easy answers to things so that people can say, okay, I can learn something, but I also can learn it without 
saying that there has to be a right or wrong answer or that I have to know the answer right away. I can let myself slowly process it, all the nuances of it. Um, but the question is, okay, but like movies can do that too, or video games can do that too. Like what's specifically unique about what reading fiction does? You would think it would do that. The thing is what it does uniquely is integrate both your cognitive and your um and your imaginative sides or your left brain or your right brain because for mo for watching movies as such you have to you are bringing in that information without necessarily having to analytically think about it whereas when you're reading you have to um bring forth that imagination through your analytical processing power and so you have to have both sides of your brain um, creating that experience for you in a way that makes it more integrated. Uh, there's a um, Christoph Kozlowski's um, a book called The Movies of Christoph Kozlowski talks about this that movies actually reflect a bit closer to what our experience of the world actually is like, where we're getting you know we're getting sensory data in and we're kind of figuring out um, how to process that analytically um, afterwards, but the work of reading actually forces us to have that experience the other way around, which helps us to work out those muscles. So the process, we actually become a better person in a sense by reading fiction. It's it's like reading, it's like watching fiction with weights on um, in order to, it, it, to do the same result, which actually makes us stronger and more able to. This is why, again, I prefer movies that are a little bit more intellectual, kind of like, you know, Christopher Nolan's or the Aaron Sorkin's, because they try to do some of that work of integrating the analytical side into that experience. But that's something that automatically happens when you are reading fiction that I think that people really just don't. And I think that, again, because fiction watching um, has become so good and does reflect more how people naturally uh, process storytelling people just slowly are kind of getting adept to doing the easier way and more natural way of processing fiction and saying, well, well for book reading, that's the more efficient way and more effective way of, of, of using my analytical side. So we are going through this process of separating the two, but um, reading fiction actually helps us reintegrate. And so that's, again, I love, again, I'm, I'm, a, I'm not say pointing at other people. I watch most, I don't watch documentaries. I mostly, I watch my fiction and I read my nonfiction and I read a lot of it, but I on purpose specifically make sure that I'm reading fiction too, at least some of the time during the year, because I know that it works that out as a muscle that actually makes me a more integrated person. So what would you like, throw it to you, Amanda, um, at what would you, um, jump off of that or other things that, yeah. that I missed. Yeah. So actually I think that the analogy of lifting weights or, yeah. you know, building the muscle, there's a lot there, you know, on a lot of levels. Um, I think, so we've talked about building empathy. We've talked yeah. about, you know, building the analysis, all of this and your imagination. And I think that's kind of the beauty. One of the beauties of fiction is, there's a lot of invisible work going on, Brilliant. but invisible does not necessarily equate to worthless. Um, it is deep work and it's in preparation for something. And we don't always know what that something Boom. is. And so just to give you like a ridiculous sort of context or or what that looks like on the writer's side of things, as you guys know, as creators yourself, I don't know if you ever do this, but sometimes 
I am, I will be sitting somewhere, be it outside in the sunshine or on the couch or wherever. And I'm thinking and I'm developing a story and I'm thinking on a what if, you know, what if this or what if that? And it looks like to the outside observer, it looks like I'm staring off into space doing nothing. (laughs) And that's what I I saw me, you know, think that person is just sitting and she sure sits a whole lot. And every time I see her, she's sitting. And but there's a deep work going on that without it, I can't tell the story. I'm building the scaffolding inside. And it is so that someday some stranger I've never met, perhaps even across the world, will be holding my thoughts in their hand. And the important part there is not that they're my thoughts, but that there is a connection going on. And then their thoughts build off of it and something happens. Maybe they act on it. Maybe something changes for them. Uh, maybe they get something out of it that I never intended, but it's even more beautiful, you know, and there's just so much going on here. And it all starts with something invisible. And it all starts with us either as readers or writers being willing to build up those muscles invisibly for the eventual application of it for, you know, someday this is going to give somebody hope. Someday this is going to manifest as a book that someone can give to their grieving, you know, friend who needs hope and needs to feel seen. And so there's this this funny thing going on in, in the realm of fiction where we have to ask ourselves, are we willing for our work as readers and writers for the investment of it to be invisible for a little while mm-hmm. and then for it to be dormant until the time is right when it's needed. And so, um, wow, yeah, I'm all for building up muscles. And but sometimes it's, it's, we just have to wait for the for the um, reason, I guess, for it to come out. We don't know when it's going to happen, but it happens. Um, I absolutely love that. And this is something we could literally talk about all day. I actually, as you know, as we're talking about this and thinking about this, I'm like, wow, there's more here than I even knew there was to mine um, in the value of fiction, the value of story. Um, and, but real quick, before we wrap up, I do want to just go down some of the just very practical. This is all database <laughs> evidence as to what reading fiction actually does for you. And then I'm going to add one of my own at the very end. Um, but it actually, it literally improves sleep quality. Um, it prevents mental decline. People get, um, and like, uh, like, uh, drastically like rates of dementia go down. It keeps your mind active for longer. Um, it, like you mentioned earlier, Amanda, it, they have measured that it shows it helps with empathy. When you read about another person's experience, your natural human empathetic emotion that happens in your brain, it helps you understand why people are the way they are, why they act the way they act. And you actually have more grace and love for people who are different than you. Um, they, they have shown that reading fiction actually helps um, lower cases of racism and sexism and every other ism because all of a sudden you have a greater understanding of people and their experience. Um, it develops, uh, particularly in young kids, de- develops vocabulary and communication skills. Dang. It teaches you how, literally shows that people are more able to make friends, more people are more easily able to communicate um, their thoughts, which obviously not being able to communicate your thoughts because you don't have the access to a larger vocabulary is going to be a lot more frustrating. Um, and this is the one that's really, really interesting. It literally helps you live longer. People who regular, regularly read fiction live for more years. Yes, I said years than people who don't. And so you can take issue with this. It's not as cool as reading, you know, the the textbook of whatever, but there are real practical, um, healthy affects of reading fiction 
And the one I'm going to, uh, to end on that, that I'm adding to this list that you can easily find all the studies for um, uh, in a lot of different places. Just Google it. Seriously, there's multiple articles about all this stuff. The one I'm going to to add to this is, as you know, I'm an actor. I love acting. I love movies. I love films. I love video games. I think those are amazing storytelling um, uh, mediums. Um, but the thing that both, both video games and films and TV do for us is it provides us with everything, right? Mm -hmm. It provides us the world, the visuals, the performances, the music, the emotions. It gives you everything, um, which I think is a beautiful and wonderful thing. That's what I love about film and games. Um, but what what happens with fiction that that I really think is a beautiful part that I want to add to this is that it makes you a creator too. So oh, when, when Amanda writes her stories, she's not providing you the actors. She's not providing you she can give you details and things, but your mind is having to create those things. You are now actually actively participating in the creation process of one of her novels. And so it's in interesting. I've had this discussion with two different people. Uh, me and my wife have talked about this. When we when we start a book, we often read um, uh, fiction books together because we like talking about them. And I told her a while ago, oh, no, before I begin a story, I have to get the layout of the town. I have to know what street leads to where, or if it's in a, a mansion, I have to know how everything plays out. I need to know where the different rooms are so that when people walk from here to here, I know where they're going. I start, we, and we literally start casting all the characters. Okay. What does person look like? What kind of actor do they look like? Um, what are they wearing? And so this is something we enjoy doing because we are taking active part in the creation of the story in our minds. So yes, reading is harder. Reading fiction is harder than watching a movie, but it also allows you to be an artist in a way. And you know, there, you know, it goes back to the theological. We were created to be co-creators. One of the most important and first aspects you'll discover about God is he is a God who creates things. And if we were created in his image, we were created to create as well. And when we read fiction, we are doing that with the author. We are creating the world and performances and visuals and aesthetic in our mind. And I think that's such a beautiful practice to do. And I could we could talk about this for hours. We're going to wrap up, but I'm going to give Joseph and Amanda any last thoughts before we jump to blessings and curses. Um, yeah, I'll just say I'll just say briefly, you know, uh, all of that is true. I think, you know, being um, I think we've we've given everyone say like, you know, why why we are ashamed of it, you know, why we're ashamed of it. Um, you know, you don't need to be ashamed of it. You don't be ashamed of it. It's it's really good for you. We've given people the reasons it's good for you, both on a theological level and on a data driven level. And um, I would say that, like, you know, the the fact that now you can go forward and say, I get to be a part of this. I get to say, you know, like you said, like I get to co-create in this. And when I think one of those beautiful things you can do is to tell somebody that something they enjoy is also good, um, that not everything that is um, that you love is bad for you. Um, I think that if you can walk away from this saying that, no, you should be reading more fiction, this thing that's beautiful that other people found to be beautiful. But then also, if you're, you know, somebody like me who's like, doesn't get as much enjoyment out of it, be able to say, oh, this is something I can do that's hard, but knowing it's worthwhile. I think that is also something that what some of the best things I've found in my life that are worthwhile have been hard. And so I would encourage people for people who love it and feel guilty about it, you don't need to. And for people who, don't see the value in it to really put the effort in to um because you are participating in something that's transcendent and beautiful and does make you more capable 
of kind of having something to offer the world um, that you're looking for in a way that integrates the whole person, not just splitting yourself into two two pieces. So that's what I would say. Anyway, Amanda, what would you say to, to wrap us up? Oh, there's hardly anything I can add to all that. I just, um, you know, I'd say if anyone out there is thinking, okay, I want to dip my toes in to the fiction waters, where do I start? That's exciting and it can be overwhelming. But one amazing thing about the fiction world is people love to talk about books. They love to talk about it. And it, that provides connection, which builds community, which is another magical thing about fiction. But just toss the question out there, whether it's, you know, to people who, you know, um, day to day or online or whatever, just say, hey, I want to read a book. What do you guys recommend? And see, you're going to get a lot of recommendation. So sifting through that can be um, that can be choppy waters, too. But it's exciting because there's so many different types of fiction. If you like something fast paced and captivating and maybe your brain is very tired at the end of the day and, and you need something that's just going to take you on a wild ride. That's out there. But if you want to think some more, you know, be invited to think a little deeper about something that's out there, too. I heard a term recently I not heard before. Um, philosophy fiction. Have you guys heard that? Oh, philosophy yes. <laughs> so, I mean, you can go anywhere with fiction. You can go into philosophy. You can think you can laugh. There's hilarious writers. Um but coming back to where we started, this idea that fiction is frivolous, this sort of stigma attached to it, I really just would end with like a friendly challenge, push back on that a little bit and say, that's like saying that that um, ovals are dumb, like the shape of an oval is dumb. It really depends on what the oval is, you know, like, what are we talking about? Are we talking about a plain old oval? Are we talking about graffiti? Are we talking about medicine like a pill that's in the shape of an oval and it, we can take the metaphor further that medicine can be life-saving to somebody or it could be extremely detrimental to somebody if they don't have the right condition for it and so fiction is this whole other world fiction cannot be classified as all frivolous or all bad or all um, a waste of time um it is an entire universe and it's exciting so i think probably as as a group, we would all heartily invite everybody out there to to jump right in and have some fun. Well said. And now uh, we are off to our classic, lovely segment that everybody loves, or at least they haven't told us any differently. Uh, blesses and curses, where we're going to get a chance to actually share with you some of our recommendations um, for uh, books that you can uh, you can jump right into. So, of course, if people don't know. Uh, if you're just tuning in for the first time, first of all, welcome. But also, uh, you um, a bless is a curse segment is where we take a work of art, media, or resource that we want to recommend, i.e., bless, or to diss, i.e., curse, because that's fun too. Um, so we always give our uh, guest an opportunity to um, bless and or curse uh, something if they want to uh, dip into those waters. So, Amanda, uh, do you have any uh, blesses and or curses uh, for us today? I have both, and you're gonna laugh because my my blessing, my what I'm gonna bless, not even a book, it's a movie. <laughs> totally ironic <laughs> to it, <laughs> but it's a short film. Okay, so if you have 15 minutes of time to spend, and I heartily um, challenge you to, because this is a fantastic resource, and it is called the Fantastic Flying Books of Morris Lessmore. 
So, okay, I see you are not familiar with it. The Fantastic Flying Books of Morris Lesmore. It is an animated short film, like I said, 14 or 15 minutes long. I think it came out in like 2011, so it's been around a while. And I think it sort of made a splash in literary type circles when it first came out, but it's been long enough now that I think it's time for a renaissance of the fantastic, all of that. Um, so what it is, is it's wordless for one, which is a further irony because we've been talking about word this whole time. There's no, it's a silent film. And um, it starts out in black and white, kind of Wizard of Oz, and it goes in, something happens, a storm event happens, also like the Wizard of Oz, and this man gets swept away to this sort of enchanted land, and he lands there, and um, I won't give away the whole plot, I think you should just go watch it, but what I will say is when you watch it, as someone who cares or thinks about or loves books, pay attention to basically everything. Pay attention to what the colors are doing, when color starts to come into the black and white scene. Pay attention to the pictures on the walls, um, because at the end it all comes together. Pay attention to the books and what they're doing. Pay attention to the music. And basically what you'll see, I think, is it's a commentary on how books can bring life. They can bring life. So I would say going into it, don't view it as like solid theology. just because it's not um and i think there's probably some interpretations you could take you'll see when you watch it about the afterlife and such we're not watching it for that we're watching it for the literary commentary and looking at what do books do and what can fiction do and and what can nonfiction do and we talked about connection and we've talked about healing and all and empathy all these things they're all represented in this 15 minute wordless film in such a beautiful way um i wouldn't be surprised if it brought a tear to a couple eyes when you watch it so that's my that's my blessing go watch the fantastic flying books of morris lesmore you can just type it in online and it's you'll find it um and then it's, i had a really hard time with the curses because um i don't want to call out any of my fellow authors <laughs> i know how hard it is to write a book and <laughs> I, I have moral we know how you feel <laughs> yeah so it's you know like that that roosevelt quote about the man in the arena and it's it's not the critic who matters and i'm like i don't want to be the critic so here's what i did i found a loophole and i'm going to curse a sort of a genre um we talked about how fiction can be a tool of hope and i think that is one of its primary roles one of its primary intentions of why it was created yet there's this whole genre of what I would call the genre of hopelessness. And it's almost like, um, especially in academia and, and very cerebral circles, there's nothing wrong with being cerebral. We're the overthinkers here, right? We like to think. But there's this thing, and you can see it when you look at the reading lists of college classes or even high school classes, and it's almost like despair is a literary device that's esteemed. And like you get extra points for being hopeless and despairing. And so I am not saying we shouldn't explore hard things in fiction. I think we should. I think that is one of the roles of fiction is that is one of the ways we can talk. We can go to the hard places and we can go to the dark places. But going back to that science about how when you read something, your your brain is reacting as if you're actually living it and experiencing it. So with that in mind and with the care of the reader in mind, if we're going to ask our readers to go there, 
and dwell there in the hard places and the dark places, then we'd better throw them a, a rope. You know, we'd better go in with with a with a life preserver and say, yeah, life can be hard, but there's hope. Like there has to be that moment in a story of, of a turning point of the, but the story's not over. Like you're, you're not alone. Life can be hard, but it is not hopeless, as hopeless as it can seem. Can seem. And so I want to um, just shine a light on the fact that as storytellers, which there's this quote, I think it's a Steve Jobs quote. It says Stor- storytellers are the most powerful people in the world. That's arguable, but we could debate about that for another hour. Um, I think a lot, I think anything could be. <laughs> that is objective. Okay, well, you're the expert. <laughs> so um, if we ha- if we re- recognize that this is a powerful tool, then that we're asking to dwell in whatever story we're recording them, we need to let them feel the rescue. And we need to let them feel the restoration and feel the redemption. And so I'm cursing all this to say, I'm cursing the genre of hopelessness. Um, on the one hand, it's okay for us to read those books because again, it builds empathy for people who are feeling that and it might drive us to want to provide hope even more. But if we as storytellers have hope to give, I say, let's step up and offer that hope. So there you go. I love that. Thank you, so much, Amanda. That's fantastic. What I really like is that we have the novelist here and she's blessing a film. And then you have two filmmakers who <laughs> are about to bless a bunch of novels. So <laughs> this is like perfect symmetry and it really makes my um, my OCD brain happy. Uh, so I have <laughs> a, a, like a, a ton of novels. And here's the thing. I thought through like all the novels that will impress people that I've read. Um, but I decided to go against my my nature of um, of trying to be cool. And I'm going to bless a lot of new novels because because there's obviously brilliant um, classic novels that many of us have read. Um, but what I want to focus on today is and, we, and we'll talk about this in another episode, but there are still great, um, great novels being written because everyone talks about, I, I you know, I, I've run in circles very often where basically if it if, if it was written after 1950, then it. it you know, it's not good. It, 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 all the best has already been done. I hate that philosophy. I think they're actually brilliant new books, movies, everything being created. So I'm focusing today on the new um, novels that I really have really loved in the past few years. So I'm going to bless um, four books. And these are just things, you know, if we, you know, all the things we talked about, if we convinced you at all, either one, to not feel bad for reading fiction or two, to maybe actually add more fiction into your reading diet. These are books that I would highly suggest you jump into. Uh, and we talked about, you know, being able to pull truths and interesting things and comfort and hope um, and new ideas and deeper thought from the 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 creation or, or the the uh, construct of narrative. These are great ones to do. It. So one, I would say and Joseph is going to steal my favorite current fiction author. So I'm going to let him that. So just Thank know you. I do. You, he reads a lot more fiction than I do. So he has to let me have this one. Exactly. I'm always giving Joseph novels to read. He's always giving me nonfiction to read. So, <laughs> symbiotic relationship. Um, so uh, one of them that I really, really love in the past few years is called The Midnight Library. It actually blew up. This is a book that everybody, um, well, everybody who reads fiction all of a sudden read and it kind of came out of nowhere. 
Um, and by the way, I'm not going to remember any of the author's names for any of these. Sorry. <laughs> so go look up the titles and you'll discover the author. Um, but uh, the Midnight Library is, a, is what I loved about it is it kind of it threw me back to um, books that are really very formative to me that were, I don't know what you call this genre, maybe hyper, uh, no, not hyper realism. Um, maybe philosophy fiction would be a good title, but basically the Midnight Library is a, after a woman dies. It reminded me of The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis in a way. Um, after a woman dies, she finds herself in a library with a librarian who shows her that every book is a different, had she made a different choice in her life, this is how her life would have turned out. And that's such a brilliant way to, for us to think about, because we're always thinking about what if I had done this? What if I had done that? Think about our choices, how they affect our life. And it's a brilliant way to really investigate the choices that we're making, the regrets that we have, the hopes that we have for the future. But it was also just very entertaining. You like this character. You, you want to um, read on and see what something different would have made, uh, a different choice would have made, how that would have looked in her life. And so The Midnight Library is a really fantastic um, a book, I'd say, to jump into, to at least explore those themes. Of course, I have minor qualms with, well, I don't know about this or know about that, but I really enjoyed the reading of this. Another one I'm going to bless is called How Not to Die Alone. And uh, this goes to what Amanda what's was that? talking what, about. What's, uh, what's the author of that again? I was, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> uh, but How Not to Die Alone, is this goes exactly to what you were talking about, Amanda, which is it actually walks through really um, difficult and dark places. Um, and But it, it doesn't lead the reader there. There's hope yeah. at the end of this book. So, and spoilers, there's hope at the end of this book. <laughs> uh, um, but it, it's, I think it's a really beautiful look into um, the quiet desperation that many of us feel, but it shows the beauty um, of uh, of working through that and finding the hope uh, and beauty in just in normal life. And I really enjoyed my walk through this book. It This is not a book that is filled with explosions or huge plot twists. It is a book that understands um, the human struggle of normal life. And so I really enjoyed that one. I'm also going to bless a book by the, um, oh, wait, wait, oh, wait, no, never mind. I'm not going to try with the author because uh, I do, I will forget it and, and screw it up. But it's called Anxious People. Uh, now, this is a beloved Ooh. author who's written books that a lot of people like, but I just, I dipped my toe in with Anxious People. And one, the, it's, uh, this is fun. Like I, that I was constantly turning the page. What's going to happen next? It's also funny. I was laughing out loud in bed as I was reading before night, uh, before I was going to bed at night. And it was, it's just an enjoyable read. But the thing that I love is it combined fun and funny with really um, a lot of depth in his characters. It explored the darker, more difficult moments of different experiences. And again, it brought light. It brought redemption. And it's just, but it was also. It's rare that I get to have something that's both enjoyable and thought-provoking and um, emotionally evocative. And it did all of that in one book. So I highly recommend Anxious People. It's a, it's a beautiful, fun, funny, interesting, depth-filled book. And then one that I, I technically can't fully bless because I haven't finished it yet. So maybe I'll I'll totally uh, throw it under the bus next time. But so far, and I'm almost done with it, I'm just really enjoying my wife and I are reading. It's a mystery. Um, and I... I say this with a little bias. It's a mystery that takes place within a community, a small group of actors. And so that's obviously going to be a book I'm going to pick up and read because mm -hmm. I both love uh, mysteries and I love books about things I do, which is act. Um, but it, it's if you love Shakespeare, if you love all that um, acting and actors, but you also love good old fashioned Agatha Christie kind of uh, murder mysteries. Um, I really highly suggest a book called If We Were Villains. I've really, really enjoyed my my ride with this book. 
there's a lot of really in-depth insight into human behavior, human emotions, uh, love, um, passion, purpose, desire. And it's also just a good whodunit. And I, I still have no idea. I have my thoughts and we'll talk uh, off show about <laughs> you, me, your thoughts about when you're halfway through who you think did it. Um, but it's a really, really, really fun book. So again, real quick, if we were villains, anxious people, how not to die alone in the midnight library. These are all novels written in the past 10 years. And I thoroughly enjoyed each of them uh, for all the reasons we talked about today. As far as curse, I am torn. There's a part of me, my impish part that wants to like curse, like an old novel that everybody loves. And I really do not do love it, do it, do it. <laughs> but I, I'm not trying, I'm not here to make everyone angry. Uh, well, you know, depends on what kind of yeah, day. Yeah, it depends I have. on the day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to curse a recent novel I read, and I actually know nothing about the author or nothing. This could be an old novel. I actually don't know. I did very little research into the uh, around this book, but it's called Fever Dream, and I saw this on a ton of like, you need to read this book. You need to read this book. And I like uh, kind of weird novels that make you think or play with reality. Um, this one was kind of what Amanda got to. It is dark and it stays dark and it's dark and weird. It's weird and dark and it stays weird and dark. But there, but which is I can be okay with if there's a point. If I, if I understand something at the end that that gives me greater understanding or or depth or 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 insight into um, life and reality, humanity or God or something. And it felt like this book was just written to you know get the people who is kind of the emperor's new clothes. We're all going to pretend there's something here to to garner truth from and there's really not it's just weird and dark and um but we're gonna pretend like there is and so it i did not enjoy this book and maybe i didn't understand it maybe i'm too dumb so please if you did enjoy this book and you got it and i didn't please explain it to me i'd love to be wrong um so send in your letters and let me know if i'm wrong and what you thought of it but i did not enjoy uh, the book fever dream yeah the 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 um the research is pretty clear that um, being a skeptic is one thing, but being a cynic, uh, is associated with lower cognitive intelligence. Um, so, you know, <laughs> yes, yes. yes. I want to art. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, 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 and definitely like being, I actually, I, I found the study was like, uh, uh, and I, and I saved it because as a, as a, as a non-cynic, I like to throw that at all my cynic friends because there is this idea of like, I, we think if we make it all dark it's more true because again it's a status thing i'm able to handle the darkness and you're not you know and but the thing is but you make an excellent point which is the fact that if it's going to be dark it at least ought to be true and the problem is that something that is just like again just like hallmark movies that are like all light and no dark are fantasy things that are all dark and no light are also fantasy um but so i think that that kind of you know, pretension that, that is attached to that. I like how you put it. It's like, it's dark and it's also not true. I didn't learn anything. I didn't actually become a better person. I think it's a really insightful um, thing to know. Don't worry. I'll share that study in the show notes up here so you can show all your friends. Um, but anyway, the, um, yes. Okay. So that's great. So yes. Uh, Nathan was extremely uh, kind to save the, his, his favorite author that he introduced me to uh, Ian Reed who, um, and I have read my first book of his uh, called Foe, and he is um, being in the philosophy fiction, you know, uh, genre. And what I really liked about it, I'm not going to spoil it because part of the fun of it is how it unfolds. But what I liked about it is it did philosophy, 
the way, as sort of we were talking about, the way people actually do philosophy in their own life, which is you have experiences that prompt you to think about things in a deep way. And he really does a sort of intuitively led philosophy in it, which is that kind of there's these experiences that happen, which prompts him to think, which prompts him to make choices, which prompt other ways of thinking about things. And so really that integration of philosophy with living life is something that I don't know that I've, I've ever seen replicated in quite that way. Um, you know, I think it's probably actually the closest analogy I can think of, and it's ironic given our conversation earlier, Nathan, but is like Augustine's Confessions, where it's essentially it's a memoir, a philosophy memoir where he's, you know, talking about kind of his life, which prompts theological, you know, exploration. So I think that if you're, if you are a philo philosophically minded person going to Ian Reed, or at least I can recommend personally the foe as one to read. It's also coming a movie of it is coming out soon. So, you know, it's, you can, you can read the book before you see the movie and then have that status credit. I was like, well, I've read the books, so, you know, better. I cannot wait to just yell at everyone. Well, the book is better. Yeah, so. exactly. Yes. <laughs> Uh, uh, so I also, I will recommend, I am going to recommend a documentary, which is, um, the fantasy makers, uh, well, I think, I believe that's what it's called, uh, faith and imagination, the fantasy makers. And that is a whole documentary. My mom and sister actually sat me down to watch this and it actually was really good about George McDonald, C.S. Lewis and Tolkien and how, um, George McDonald influenced two of them and how the three of them together sort of created this revolution in, the West of appreciating stories and reading fiction and how important those were post-industrial revolution when a lot of this connection to the stories that shape us was lost. So if you want to have a part of that history, because I know we have a lot of C.S. Lewis and Tolkien fans here because so we are them as well, that I'm sure our fans would enjoy um, it, watching that. I got a lot out of it. Um, to curse, I actually get, I don't read enough fiction to really read a lot of bad fiction um, well, you know, if I get to chapter three and I don't like it, I'm not going to finish. Right, you know exactly. I mean? And and the last fiction book I really did like, I already cursed on the show. Um, and it got a lot of people mad, which I don't mind. But I, I but it's, what was it? a man called Thursday. You know, it's like, right. God, that's terrible. I know I'm a bad person, but I'm also right. Um, but in any case, I, I know I love G.K. Chesterton. I just thought that the plot <laughs> twist was really weak. Um, oh, but but in any case, uh, the but again, I am gonna curse. The, I feel okay cursing this because I'm reviewing. I'm actually reviewing it. This is gonna come out about the time the review comes out. But it is a movie um, that's called Surprised by Oxford, and it's about a young woman who, um, again, not cursing the book, not cursing anything. It's like, but the movie, um, you know, it's it's about a young woman who's who's really into like a reading for achievements and then of course she goes to oxford and she gets introduced to c.s lewis and introduced to milton and, and learning to actually read in order to get closer to god and to get closer to her imagination so i just want all the people out there to know his opinions are his own it is yes my opinion <laughs> and i think the story is great i think it was written i think the, the writing the screenplay was not very good for for the story it it comes across as a cross between a bad hallmark movie and god's not dead uh where they they That's try so how dare you <laughs> i didn't say hallmark movies it's a bad hallmark movie okay okay <laughs> where where they try to make a romance with no chemistry and they try to be like hey we're gonna answer all the atheists in all of the scenes 
where it's like, oh, I've actually had conversations with these kind of apologetic conversations and you're using the weakest arguments. So I think, you know, it's it's a it's a movie that is to some degree trying to inspire people to have a the with the kind of stuff we're trying to instill in them here. And I think don't use this to inspire it to people because it's not going to inspire it in them. It's only going to turn them off. That is my opinion. This is the endor- overthinkers not endorsed, but I I stand by it. And if you want to do that, yes, I judge it until I see it because people this I'll be I'll be curious uh, to uh, see if you're right or wrong. Yeah, but it's so much fun. I love this this subject today. This is actually an important one. Uh, this is not a frivolous. Oh, we're just doing culture. This is important. Stories are important. Engaging with stories is important. So I, I hope that we inspired some people to either read more fiction um, or at least not feel bad about reading stories because this Amen. is how you needed to be. But before we go, Amanda, I'm so grateful that you were here today. Um, I, I I just love actually having a novelist on here to talk about the benefits of fiction. And maybe you're a little biased, but I, I like your bias because I think it's right. Um, so if people want to read your books and read your fiction, where can they go? Give us the titles of your books and where they can find them. Sure. Um, and thank you for having me. This has been so fun. And I agree, such a worthy topic. Uh, so you can find every, whatever you want to know out at www.amandadykes.com. Um, my book titles are, the first one's called Whose Waves These Are. And um, I classify that one as raw and rugged, but hopeful. And then the second one I wrote is called Set the Stars Alight. And uh, since we've been talking today about, you know, hope and, and going ahead and going to the dark places, but pushing back and offering hope to you, I would say if you're looking for one to start with, maybe start with that one, because that's a big theme is how do we fight against the darkness? And and it was sort of an exploration for me because I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but as overthinkers, we tend to feel the weight of the world pretty deeply, you know, and the news cycles and all of those things. And so it was written in a time when I was feeling that and struggling with that and how do we how do we fight that and um just through hope and wonder which sounds kind of like saying oh it's all fairy dust but it's not those are pretty pretty strong tools and so set the stars alight that's where i'd say after this conversation maybe start with that one and it's my shortest too i'm kind of wordy i get too wordy but set the stars alight is the shortest (laughs) and then came the third one is a world war one so the Great War, uh, and it is called Yours is the Night, and it is a journey story. It takes place going from the Western Front to Paris, and it follows five different perspectives. So that was a lot of fun to get to try and do five different voices of characters. Um, awesome. And then the most recent one that came out was, it, it takes place in Venice, and it's called All the Lost Places. And it's sort of a, a metaphor. <laughs> it's a metaphor. I see Venice as a metaphor for, and we could do another whole podcast on this, but the history of Venice, where it came from, it came from a place of um, desperation, these people who needed a refuge, and they found it in a swamp, which is a disease-ridden, insect-filled swamp where nobody else would go, and so it was the only place that their attackers would not chase them. And so look at Venice now. It's known for beauty. It's known for music. It's known for culture. It's, I mean, it's amazing and it's built in a swamp. And so to me, there's so much metaphor in that and, and redemption. And the story doesn't actually follow 
it doesn't go that far back in history. It takes place in the 1800s and early 1900s, but it delves into that. So those are the four that are out right now. My next one comes out next summer and it takes place in Colorado. So that'll yes. be, I thought you might like that. We should definitely <laughs> have you back on uh, with some, if not before, about then in order to- uh, It yeah. would be a pleasure. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for being here. And to all our listeners, um, if you would like to connect with us more, uh, go to theoverthinkersjournal.com and um, and head over to our Facebook page, The Overthinkers. We'd love to have you among our ranks. And if you want to get in touch with me, go to nathanclarkson.me or search my name, Nathan Clarkson, on any of the socials. Um, you can also read all of my nonfiction books. Uh, just search my name on Amazon. Um, so maybe one of these days I will delve in. I'll actually practice what I... I'm preaching here today and write a story. So um, one of these days, keep your eye out. Uh, but uh, Joseph, where can people find you? People can find me on any of the socials as well. You can also find my uh, written uh, reviews of movies and uh, cultural commentary at religionunplugged.com. Also, I got stuff on uh, Relevant Magazine and an Unexpected Journal. And of course, you can go to my website, josephholmstudios.com. Uh, thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. Thank you, Amanda, for joining us. And remember, if it's worth thinking about, it's worth overthinking about. Mm -hmm.